And you waybred, plant mother, eastward open, within mighty, over you chariots creaked, over you queens rode, over you brides trampled, over you oxen snorted. This all you then withstood, and dashed apart, as you withstand poison and infection, and that evil that fares through the land. That was an excerpt from The Nine Herbs Charm from the Anglo-Saxons. It is a recipe for a salve, and it's also a little prayer of the herbs. And that specific line that I was just reading is about wig braid, as they call it. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Or, as we know it, plantago majora, or the broadleaf plantain. And that is what we are talking about today. Or part of what we are talking about today is the plantain leaf and its herbal properties. All right, let's get into today's episode. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Pale Pagan Podcast, where we talk about becoming awake to our intuition, healing our wounded instincts, and nurturing our bone-deep connection to the earth. I am Michaela Boltman, herbalist and the Pale Pagan. This is episode two. Today's episode is about plantain and the ancestral fellowship in childhood. Plantain was the first plant I learned how to use medicinally, so I wanted to talk about it and do some research on it, learned a lot of stuff about it that I had no idea. It was very fun to research this. Um, My mom taught me how to use this plant when I was just a kid. She taught me and my siblings how to chew it up into a spit poultice, which is how it's often used. This is how a lot of people learn this herb. The astringent properties of the leaf are so powerful that they can pull a bee stinger to the surface of the skin. And that's a good thing to know if you're out on the field trudging around. Um, I really only wore shoes once a week too, so it was a very practical herb for me and my siblings to know. As I walk down this plant path and my ability to conjure up herbs to mind becomes more expansive and fine-tuned, I find that I really still prefer the common herbs of my local land. The plants I knew when I was a child, or the weeds as most people refer to them, And plantain is second to dandelion in weeds that people are constantly trying to yank out of their yards. All right, some facts about the broadleaf plantain. The word plantain, I believe, is French, but the Latin root of the word is planta, which means the soles of the foot. The Native Americans called it white man's footprint, actually, because the plant followed the settlers everywhere they went. There are a few species of plantain, But the one I'm referring to mostly today is Plantago majora, which is the one I'm most familiar with. It is the broadleaf plantain. From the Greeks to the Vikings to the Japanese, it was used and recorded throughout history. The Danish would cook with it in butter to heal internal organs and mix it with honey for topical wounds. It was known as wig braid in the Nine Urn Charm, dating back to the 10th and 11th century, which was the verse that I started the podcast out with. Um, Plantain just has such a wide variety of healing properties, and different cultures used it for different ailments, but really, it's used for so much. And I don't really want to get into 
the healing elements of the herb necessarily. I want to go deeper into the spirit of plantain and like who is plantain instead of what can plantain do. The Norwegians and Swedish called the plantain grobland, if I'm saying that correctly, which means the healing leaf. And that broad description is very accurate and I'm just going to leave it at that. I think it's really helpful to know which herb is good for which ailment. I think the successful application of herbalism is a much more specific art. It goes a lot deeper. And to have a deeper understanding, we need to know the spirit of the plant. It's vital in understanding herbalism in a more tangible way. The energetics of the herbs and how it interacts with the body's systems and the force. I just think that... I don't know, you can just do a quick Google search and learn what herbs good for what, and it's easy to mix them up if you don't. Almost view the herbs as people in a way and learn them as you would a person. Interestingly enough, the energetics of plantain is actually very balanced. It is usually a cooling and wet herb, um, but it, it's also astringent due to the tannins inside of the leaf, which makes it a drying herb. So it's interesting, not all herbs are as balanced as plantain, and I think that has just a little bit to say about the spirit of plantain. Okay, so what do I mean by the spirit of plantain? What is a plant spirit? Let's dig into that. Okay. Now, with energetics, there is a sort of absolute, and by that, I mean it's truth. There's not really a debate whether or not herbs have energetics. It kind of sounds a little bit woo-woo to some people, but when you get into it, it's not. Every plant has its energetics and herbal actions, and every person has their constitutions or tissue states. Aligning the energetics of the plant to the constitution of the ailment is how we get successful results in a sort of short and sweet explanation. This is how using plant medicine works. This is why people have been using it for thousands of years. It just works when used this way. Um, an example of herbal energetics would be, let's say, oregano. Throw some leaves of oregano in your mouth and you feel the pungent heat. It's a warming plant. An example of a cooling herb could be rose. If you drink a tea with rose, even if your tea is hot, you'll still feel the cooling and the calming effects of that plant. This has been recently overlooked in the modern practice of herbalism, and that's when we start to get the inconsistencies. But when it's applied right, the energetics to the constitution, success is pretty consistent. And I really encourage you to look further into it if it's interesting to you because it's really an exciting thing to research. You get to learn herbs and people on just such a deeper, holistic level. And you also get to learn about yourself on a much deeper level. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> I get like a little peeved when people dismiss herbalism as useless or weak. I don't know. I guess peeved is harsh. I, I get a little sparked by the misunderstanding because plants are so powerful and they're so potent. And I just grieve that loss when I hear people speak so resolute in their woes against herbalism for healing or natural medicine. It just like, it just doesn't work to them, you know? 
to know the plants though and to be known by plants that's just what I want for everyone <laughs> I get so passionate about it I just don't want anyone to miss out and the people that walk in that belief they are just missing out and uh, I just feel bad anyway all right what about plant spirits this is something that it's just not going to be received by everyone and that's okay some people think it's wrong to even entertain the thought that plants could have a spiritual essence. And some people think it's just not intellectual. I don't know. There's different realms of thought when it comes to this. But if we don't do this, I just feel like we're just using the plants. And I know that that approach really lacks. I don't really want to give a lot of oomph to anyone who strongly disagrees with me in this statement. You have to be close to the plant kingdom to be a convert and until someone does that I don't think they can understand and that is understandable I get that you know I'm not gonna we're all on different walks and we're not all called to the plant path I understand that and I was myself in the field of thought that acknowledging the inanimate as animate was I'm gonna use the word sinful which is a strange one for me to use now been years since I left that web of belief that holds that long list of vocabulary words. I don't know. I just stopped using them for years, but I did see it as a moral wrong to see spirits in anything but humans. And I think people figure that intellectualism is why people think themselves like above animism and ancestor reverence and just a lot of the core practices of indigenous folk beliefs were like above it somehow. <laughs> But I think another big reason is fear, fear of being wrong in a moral sense. And I just want to add that to the conversation because like, I know it's so silly when you really dissect it, but the fear is big and it's real and it keeps people from dissecting it. And it's valid to acknowledge why that there is fear there. And then there's even the smaller fear of just looking silly. Like you don't want to be seen as silly for acknowledging spirits in the things where most people don't and where it's not culturally appropriate in the society to do so. You know, like that was something that the witches and the heathens and the barbarians did and we're above that now and yeah, no, I just feel like that's something to add to the conversation. So let's get into plantain spirit. That that's what we're trying to get into, right? All this pretense. Let's just get into it. What does plantain have to say? What does it declare? What does it ask us to remember? One thing that strikes me is the persistence and the strength of will in plantain. You can walk all over it and it still grows. It's despite that it flourishes. And I feel a little sass from it, plantain as well. Sort of, you know, spite you, I'm going to flourish. I'm going to keep growing. I think anyone who's tried to weed plantain out of their lawn understands this. <laughs> um, I feel plantain is also the homely looking one who has more spunk than their vividly blooming flowery kinfolk, a sort of rough and tumble wisdom. And I also see pride. I see pride inside of plantain and a good pride, the type of pride that declares its value and does not let you dismiss it. In the nine herb charms, they spoke 
Over you chariots creaked, over you queens rode, over you brides trampled and oxen snorted. This all you then withstood, which is so true. If you've ever learned how to identify plantain and see the crazy ass places this plant <laughs> will pop up because this bitch is strong-willed. We'll just say that. Another thing about plantain is I feel like it reminds us to not allow the actions and words of others to determine our success. You know, our legacy is our own and other people, maybe they have plans for us. Maybe they have expectations for us and we feel pressure or maybe they wish us, you know, they don't wish us well and they want to see us fail and flounder. And plantain reminds us that, you know, we determine our legacy. We determine our success. It's up to us. We choose the life we get to live. No one else gets to choose that for us. It's our sovereign right, you know? And I, I like that reminder. And I understand that I'm just, maybe I'm just putting this into the plant, you know, maybe I'm putting life into the plant and there's no life there besides just growing and whatever the life that most common people put into plants. It still works, you know? It still is valid. All right, anything else Plantain has to say? I think it speaks about balance. It speaks about homeostasis. It speaks about remaining grounded despite kind of like the storms we're weathering, despite who's trampling over us, just remembering that we are grounded in ourselves. The last thing about plantain that I am going to unfold is the plantain reminds us to look back and to see where we've walked. This led me to think back on my own life. It made me ask myself a question about my own journey, my own path. When did I realize I was walking down the plant path? I said how plantain was the first herb I learned how to use medicinally, but it definitely was not the first time I felt drawn to the plant path. I think that goes back earlier when I didn't have the tools and language to explain what was happening. I was just being. My first memory of being with the plants was being with petunias. I was probably five or six maybe, and I used to rip up petunia petals. My sister planted petunias every year and I would very strategically pick the flowers so that she wouldn't notice any bare spots. I was very, very strategic and I would ball them up and just rip it up and play with it. I just, I felt very grounded being with plants. The other memory I have when I was again, probably five or six, I would pluck chives from my mom's kitchen garden on the side of our house. She would plant some kitchen herbs there and I would rip up the chives as soon as they grew and stir them in a beach pail. It was the methodical stirring that I remember the most. It was almost a ritual to me, almost meditating in my own little five-year-old way. And I believe now I was tapping into some sort of ancestor memory or just being with ancestors. It was just, I was playing and I felt connected to something. I felt grounded to something and I didn't have words for it back then. And that was great. That was the best part. I knew how to be 
with plants so much better back then. And I knew how to ground myself. It was more intuitive and effortless when I was a child. I've been on this journey of resensitizing myself to these moments of communion. It's like peeling layers of callus off for all the years that I spent learning to ignore my ancestors in the spirits of the land. And I ignored them for so many years until it became automatic, which I see is the case for a lot of people. Children have this effortless connection to the ancestors and the spirits of the land. As a child, your instincts to the unseen and to the spirits are so fresh, and we either learn to trust them and interact with that, or we just learn to ignore them. And it's not hard to guess which one is more culturally appropriate, at least if you're living in America or the United States like I am. And I just want to be really intentional in bringing my son up in a way where we make sure to nurture his instincts and nurture these feelings of wholeness with the land and with himself and not discourage it. When I was a kid playing in my backyard, I noticed literally everything. I noticed a grasshopper in the ground ivy. I saw every insect in my area. I knew my tiny backyard very well. And I noticed any changes in the environment, any new plant that started growing, every bit of ground that was disturbed by the animals in the night. Um, I knew that fourth of an acre very intimately. I knew the way it smelled with every season. When I went outside after a storm, I would spend a few moments breathing in the smell of wet grass and wet pavement. And now, when I go outside after a storm, I just walk to my car. And I notice nothing except maybe a person on the sidewalk or something. I don't really register my environment at all, actually, <laughs> besides what's useful in the moment, which I, what I deem useful in the moment, at least. Um, I just move on to the next task at hand. I only see the goal and the space between me and that goal and how I'm going to get there, basically. I've lost my sensitivity to the moments, the smells, what the birds are saying, how the ground feels like that day. Just all those things that used to be just my priority, I guess, when I was younger. I just saw it as living, and now it's just from one goal to the next. I'm really at the beginning of this journey, too, because even noticing that I've stopped noticing these things has been really recent. I felt like something was missing for a long time with how I interact with my environment. But um, yeah, I'd say I didn't pinpoint what it was until probably a month ago. But even though I'm still remembering and relearning, I just wanted to bring awareness to it. And maybe you can come along on that journey with me because, wow, yeah, just the more I think about it every day, noticing it and trying to bring my attention to it, it's sort of like a breathing exercise. Um, I'm in physical therapy right now for mostly pelvic therapy because of having a baby. And she's always telling me to, you know, bring attention to your breathing. And that's something that therapists will tell you, any therapist will tell you, you know, bring attention to your breathing and realize when you're holding your breath and learn how to breathe properly. So like that type of like realizing when I'm tensing my body and not breathing deeply, like right now, um, that's kind of similar to realizing all those things I've forgotten. All objects, you know, like have become inanimate and all moments have become 
irrelevant unless they're relate to the task at hand. And it's crazy how many things, like as I'm bringing my attention to it now, just how many things. I really do want to work on this in myself because I don't want to make my son feel like when you grow up, you have to see the world a certain way. That efficient way where we walk from one goalpost to another, from breakfast to lunch to the little laundry to taking a shower, doctor's appointments on Mondays, deadlines on Saturdays, whatever. You get the picture. That racing the clock busyness um, that we really idolize in this society and we feel really trapped in. At least I do. I also don't want him to have the same relationship I have with time. As in right now, what my relationship with time is. Um, I just feel like there's no time. And I'm so painfully aware of linear time. I'm so aware of each passing hour and I'm obsessed with fitting in as much work as I can and scheduling it. Very, I'm a very scheduled person, like in a not great way. I've been working on that, but it's really hard. It's so hard. I'm creepishly good at predicting time. Like when my partner is like, oh, like guess what time? Or when I ask him like, hey, what time is it? And he's like, guess. And I'll be like, 11.24. Usually pretty damn accurate. It's freaky, honestly, (laughs) how good I can be at guessing time. Even in the middle of the night. I wake up in the middle of the night to nurse my boy. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's probably like 3.20 right now. And then I go to the bathroom and I see the clock in the living room. I'm like, yep, it's 3.25. It's freaky how good I am at it. Not bragging about it. I'm just saying like I've become so obsessed with it that I'm that good at predicting time. Um, And it's so unhealthy. And I really started to get good at that as I entered adulthood. And I got like my first real job and I was – how to manage my time. And I had to know like exactly how long it took me to like shower and exactly how long it took me to get ready in the day. And anyway, I became so good at it. And I'm so aware of the way society measures time. And I'm so, I follow in the footsteps of it. I'm so good at it. I've become the best manager of time and my skills even overflow and bless others (laughs) with my time management. And I bless them free of charge, which is not good to tell myself like you better watch it because I start micromanaging people outside of work and by people I mean specifically my partner I micromanage his time a lot and I'm trying to catch myself in the act and stop it I'm really embarrassed by it but I have to acknowledge it or it's just gonna get worse or manage me or control me more and I'm just gonna start controlling other people more in that sense and it's kind of funny because my partner is the exact opposite of me with time. Our biggest arguments at the beginning of our relationship were about time management. We're so far on the opposite sides of the spectrum with linear time. And I would say I haven't met anyone who is as bad at managing time as my partner is, which I say it in a good way. I mean, it's, I still struggle with it bugging me. Um, and I have to realize, like, is this bugging me because it's important and it's bad? Or is this just bugging me because I am a control freak with time? But I'm really glad that he has that fluid perception of time (laughs) because it balances me out, but also for a child. I really just really do not want him to have the same relationship that I have with time. And it's just, I really am trying to figure that out and heal that and just relearn (laughs) 
and the practical ways that I'm trying to incorporate healing my relationship with time and resensitizing myself to the moments of life, um, well, with resensitizing myself, it's simply bringing attention to my senses. If I'm on the floor with my baby, I really feel the ground beneath me. I really feel the carpet in my fingers while I'm like leaning over him and just playing with him. And I really smell my coffee and bring attention to my body all the time, not just when my shoulders hurt or I feel uncomfortable, but just all the moments. And <laughs> with time healing my relationship with that, it's kind of difficult, but I think the only thing I'm really practicing right now is not timing everything. I have a weird habit of timing everything, like timing how long it took me to do the dishes, always checking the exact time I went to bed, calculating how much time of sleep I'll get, um, and just being so, almost creating another chore and burden that is actually just exhausting of timing everything. Those are the practical things that I'm trying to practice in my day-to-day -day because it's kind of hard to know where to start healing yourself. Like once you bring awareness to these problems that you see in your life, what can you do about it, you know? So yeah, just to articulate and reiterate how I'm actually applying this and what actual steps I'm taking to come back to myself, ground myself, and work on my relationship with time. So I try to practice bringing awareness to my senses again. I'll pull myself from my mind back into my body. So if I'm sitting on the floor, I really try to feel the ground beneath me and register it. Register the sounds, the smells, the feelings. I try to register the smells of like my environment while I'm doing a task. Instead of just rushing through tasks and mentally going somewhere else, I just really try to feel it. So if I'm washing dishes or something, I just try to feel the water. I try to smell the soap. Yeah, and just really try to experience the moments in my body and not just like always thinking and overthinking, getting caught and swept up into like my mind because I do that so often. This is especially true to me when I find myself bored. So if my baby fell asleep on me and I can't reach the remote or something, my book is in the other room, I try to bring myself into my body and yeah, just focus on not being, yeah, just not be so focused on always escaping mentally and trying to like think of something to entertain myself, just being with myself, just being in my body, wherever my body is. And in reestablishing my relationship with time, I really am only trying to not clock the time it takes me to do everything. And I just avoid looking at the clock if it's unnecessary. Um, and if I have something like a, an appointment or a Zoom call, I just set an alarm at the appropriate time so that I don't have to keep checking my clock. And on a broader sense, because I, I mean, I guess I'm doing more than just that, but like on a broad sense, not the day to day, I am trying to follow the wheel of the year, trying because I'm not that great at it, especially since my baby's been born and also just the third trimester wasn't my biggest priority, but I started that last year. Just trying to keep with the wheel of the year, it really creates celebration around seasonal shifts and other just natural rhythms in nature. And I also follow the moon's cycles too.
in my practices and work. I try to like align it <laughs> appropriately. I think just making a shift from that capitalistic obsessive focus on numbers in linear time to a more intuitive rhythms of nature has been really helpful to me. Sort of from mind to body, especially as I am in the newborn phase in the fourth trimester, schedules and rigid routines are not so helpful. So I just try to find the rhythms and allow myself to be fluid. Thank you for being here with me today. I am grateful and honored that you took the time out of your day to do so. And woohoo, second episode created. Thank goodness, that feels so good. Um, I will process the victory because I had a really hard week of postpartum insomnia. And I was just feeling really discouraged and down this week. So it feels good to have accomplished this. If you want to contact me, I will always leave my email in the show notes. I'd truly love to hear from you. I really want to keep growing this community. So please don't hesitate. If you liked what you heard today, you could also consider sharing this podcast with a friend. I'm Michaela Boltman, and this has been the Pale Pagan Podcast, episode two on plantain and the ancestral fellowship in childhood. I hope you feel present in your body today, and I will see you next time. Be well.